May we have your attention, please? It's perhaps very easy to take a train journey, travel through an airport, switch on the light or flush the toilet without giving any thought either to the complex system of assets which allows each of these things to happen or to the people, processes and systems which support them. For any asset-intensive industry, how they are managed is a hugely important topic and the rail industry is certainly included in that group. It's one of the reasons RSSB has focused on asset integrity in the leading health and safety on Britain's railway strategy, a key aspect of asset management. To add a bit more detail to all of that, I'm joined today by Chris Knowles, Professional Head of Asset Integrity at RSSB. Welcome, Chris. As a first-time guest to the podcast, could I ask you to introduce yourself and how you came to your current role in the railway? Thanks, Ant. And of course, my dad's advice to me many years ago was to study engineering, qualify as an accountant, and then do neither. I didn't quite follow his advice, but I think he was perhaps unknowingly recommending a good route to becoming an asset manager. By profession, I'm a chartered engineer, and I've worked in asset management in many sectors, including airports, utilities, telecommunications, highways, and of course, railways. I came through the British Rail Signalling and Telecommunications Sponsorship Programme, which was a fabulous grounding for a career, not just within rail, but in other sectors where the assets are critical to the success of the business. And it's really with that grounding I've been fortunate to have held major project, asset stewardship and leadership roles, covering the whole life cycle of assets and held company directorships in the UK and in Germany. And it's great now to be working at the heart of the rail industry in RSSB. Thank you very much, Chris, and welcome. Let's jump straight in. What is asset integrity and why does it matter? Well, how often do you contact your broadband provider to tell them what a great service they provided over the last month? It hardly ever happens. But if you have poor service, you complain. Suddenly the router, the cable to the house the level of customer service all become very visible. And I guess people notice assets when they fail. And we should hold that thought for a minute as we come to your question, because asset integrity is the ability of an asset to perform its required function, to do it effectively and efficiently, protecting health, safety, and the environment. And the discipline of asset management as a whole addresses how this is achieved, delivering asset integrity at a level where the assets sustainably deliver the required service, in the case of rail, to passengers and to freight operators. Our aim as asset managers is to take asset integrity to a level where it isn't noticed, not noticed because the assets consistently do the job required. To achieve that needs effective asset management to let us get value from the assets, achieving the right mix of cost, risk, and performance. Thank you, Chris. We'll come back to how to achieve the right mix of cost, risk, and performance in another episode. But for now, let me play devil's advocate and ask, isn't asset management just about looking after existing assets in the so-called asset management phase? It's a common misconception and and a fair question. Of course, the majority of the life of an asset will be when it is being operated and maintained. But asset management covers the full life cycle of an asset, from its initial definition through its creation, its operation and maintenance, 
to its ultimate retirement. The ability of an asset to perform effectively and efficiently throughout its life owes a great deal to the decisions made right at the start of the asset's existence. For example, ensuring there is an acceptable level of asset integrity starts in the determination of why an asset is needed, as much as considering the type of asset required and how it might be provided. The choices we make about how to travel from A to B will vary depending on many factors. And for the sake of this example, and with apologies to my rail listeners, let's assume the travel is personal travel by road needing the use of a car. I may choose to purchase a new car. It gives me the flexibility and the ability to specify it to my particular needs. I might pay up front or use finance, recognising the different risk and total cost levels from the two approaches. But equally, I could procure a previously loved car, new to me, but used in previous ownership. I might rent a vehicle when I need it with no long-term lock-in or simply go by taxi. All of the above are credible options to get from A to B. Which is appropriate will depend on many factors, such as availability of capital, the flexibility I need in use, and the frequency of travel, not to mention the availability of rental vehicles or taxi services in my area. The decision made directly affects the costs incurred in future, the type of service that the assets can provide, and the approach to ensuring the assets continue to perform their required function for the period I need them to serve me. The point in this example is that the key value from the car, the asset, is the ability to provide a journey. And I'm assuming we're not talking about an investment in a rare classic where we could sell the car in the future, perhaps for a profit. In short, this isn't all about the assets. It's about what they do for us, the value that they give. So bringing this back to a rail setting, those decisions may centre on the type of signalling system to deploy, the need for extra route capacity, the removal of little-used sidings, the configuration of a new fleet, and the timing of fleet retirement. Thank you, Chris. You've just mentioned fleet retirement, and as we all know, things start to fail as they get older. But the working lifetime of many railway assets, and I'm thinking of rolling stock in particular, but equally some signalling systems, is measured in tens of years. So what goes into the whole asset management life cycle that supports an acceptable level of risk, one that is as low as reasonably practicable? Let's be clear. Assets will fail. Assets will underperform. Our aim is to minimise or eliminate the effect that these issues have on the delivery of rail services. It's particularly important in respect of safety, but assets causing disruption and delays are also important. Poor performance in itself can undermine confidence in the rail system and has knock-on safety risks due, for example, to overcrowding on trains and platforms. Assets need to perform to the level needed to meet organisational objectives, and we need to understand the risks associated with the assets and ensure inspection, maintenance, renewal and enhancement activities are informed by this understanding. We need to understand the criticality of an asset or system to the delivery of safe rail operation. These factors, and many others, will influence what constitutes an acceptable level of condition what level of faults we can tolerate, and what we need to spend. 
If we look at some areas of the life cycle of an asset system, it may help bring it to life. We talked about the inception stage of assets earlier, and the system design stage is a critical element in asset management. Understanding the impact of system components and subsystems on the overall performance allows decisions to be made on the level of resilience to be built into the system. Safety is, of course, a key consideration, and rightly so, and the level of expenditure to be applied to achieve safety outcomes is key. The Taking Safe Decisions Framework from RSSB is a really useful tool applied by many organisations as they make these decisions. It is central to decisions surrounding safety by design and demonstrating that safety risks have been reduced to levels which are as low as reasonably practicable, or ALARP, a legal requirement in the UK. The decisions do go beyond safety, though. What level of service is required? Be that punctuality, capacity, availability. One operator may provide more sets in their fleet than another to give increased confidence of fleet availability to deliver the timetable. The level of redundancy in a system may be increased to allow continued safe operation when a subsystem fails. The approach to maintenance and responding to faults equally matters, and it links back to the design and the level of service I need to provide to rail users. Can I afford to let certain assets run to failure and then replace them? I may have taken the decision to allow this to interrupt service if the impact of that interruption is small. Equally, I may be relying on a system with high levels of redundancy, giving continued service and a window for the failed subsystem to be restored without any service interruption to the end user. An example might be to look at the response time to respond to a fault on a set of points at the mouth of a major station, compared to the response to a fault on a set of points used as an emergency crossover on a branch line. The two have very different traffic levels and a very different impact should one of them fail. Determining when to renew or retire an asset requires a strong understanding of the asset performance, the residual risk and, of course, the various costs associated with ongoing maintenance, failures and replacement. In the broader asset management context, it also requires a risk-based decision support approach that can identify the investment opportunities which drive most benefit. Benefit in risk reduction, performance improvement and whole life value generation. Applying sophisticated monitoring and analytical techniques to understand performance and condition and to predict when an intervention is needed will give significant advantages. But it is important to focus on critical areas where this brings most benefit. I mentioned that these systems are complex. The range of assets and their interaction to deliver a high-performing and safe railway commands a high level of knowledge, skill and collaboration at organisational and at individual level. The clear focus must be on ensuring the assets perform efficiently and effectively and at a cost level I can afford and at an acceptable level of risk. Asset integrity being delivered at a level where it isn't noticed because the assets deliver what is required. Thank you very much, Chris. That's a very comprehensive roundup of why asset integrity is important. 
this is, as I've said, the first in a series. So could you uh, give us an idea of what will be coming next? Well, thanks, Ant. It clearly is an enormous subject and warrants a few episodes in our podcast series. And some of the things that are coming up, we're going to talk about a management systems approach to asset management and the crucial importance of putting in place effective systems to deliver assets, which in turn deliver for the business. Crucially, this is going to be looking at how all of the elements of a management approach must work seamlessly, incorporating people, processes, and technology. We will reference the International Management Standard, ISO 55000, in looking at some of the core elements that we need to make sure will be in place. We're going to look at the importance of risk and criticality and how effective approaches to asset management are grounded in the understanding of what can go wrong and how much must be done to make sure it doesn't. And that really does need that understanding of what the organization is setting out to achieve, its objectives around safety, performance, and delivery. We're going to look at the importance of monitoring and analytics, those data insights and the application of decision science that can be used to support strategic and operational decision making. Importantly, we'll also be looking at changes and change management, changes associated with systems, associated with organizations and the ways of working, and the critical factors involved in making sure these changes are done safely. Towards the end of the podcast series, we'll also look at why asset management is for life and not just for Christmas, and why organizations who adopt these approaches have a mission and drive to continue to improve so that they deliver asset integrity and value for passengers and freight operators in their organizations. Thank you again, Chris. This promises to be an interesting series that's going to be of wide interest. This is a topic I think we can all get involved in. Whether you have ideas about features needed in a new asset or one that is soon to be refurbished, or you know of sustainable ways to reuse, recycle, or repurpose an asset when it comes to the end of its initial lifespan. For those of you who are particularly interested in software design, I'll point you towards our earlier When Software Goes Wrong series as one aspect of system design and testing. There's plenty more to come in our episodes on asset integrity, so do please come back and listen again. But in the meantime, thank you for listening, and until then, stay safe and stay well. (music) 